Hello and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sober Bliss podcast with me, Gail. Today I'm absolutely delighted because I've got the lovely Sarah Rusbatch with me here today to talk about all things sobriety, great area drinking and the mummy wine culture. Hi Sarah, it's lovely to have you here. It's lovely to be here, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So I just introduced you there, um, talking about great area drinking and mummy wine culture. And I think you're the first great area drinking expert we've had on the podcast today. Um, so for anybody who's listening and not quite sure what it means, what is great area drinking exactly? Yeah, so the way I describe it is, if you think about someone's drinking as being on a scale of one to 10, and one is someone who barely drinks, maybe has a glass of champagne at a wedding, um, and then doesn't really think about alcohol any other time. And 10 is someone with a physical dependency on alcohol and needs to have medical support to stop drinking, or they would be very, very unwell or could die. You've got two very um, extreme ends of the spectrum, which not many people fall into. And I consider grey area drinking to be probably between a four and an eight on that scale. So people who take perhaps take breaks from alcohol, but then go back to drinking and they can never quite keep their drinking at the level they want it to. They find it hard to moderate. They're making rules about their drinking and then breaking them. They find that alcohol's taking a really prominent place in their life. Everything they do revolves around alcohol. Socialising revolves around alcohol. So we're at that point where alcohol is becoming problematic, but we don't identify as being an alcoholic. And that's the grey area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes so much sense. And I'm sure most of us who've ever thought about or worried about our drinking can probably identify with that. Um, And I suppose that's what you were, a grey area drinker. Yeah, absolutely. And I was a classic grey area drinker in that I did the dry January or I did the dry July and I took a break from alcohol. And I almost feel like that did me more harm than good because we're we're so conditioned to believe that if we take a break from alcohol, the only people that can't take a break from alcohol are alcoholics. So if you can take a break from alcohol, then you don't have a problem. So everything's fine. So I could take a break and I did take a break, but because I could and I did, it therefore made me go, oh, I don't have a problem. So even though when I was drinking, I was drinking very problematically, I didn't do anything about my drinking 
till probably much later than I should have done because I was lulled into that false sense of security of going, well, I'm taking breaks. Um, I'm resetting my liver, as we all like to say. I'm just doing a liver <laughs> detox. I've just got to reset my drinking. And I would do that all the time. And then when I was back drinking, bang, there was no such thing as a reset for me. There was no such thing as, oh, I'll be fixed or I'll be a moderate drinker now. It was just straight back to the level that it always was, which was quite... Um, quite a heavy drinker yeah yeah oh I can relate to that um I did a podcast when was it October all about why you shouldn't actually do sober October or dry July or dry January simply because of the reasons that you mentioned and also um I don't think it's long enough really a month I don't think is quite long enough to experience all the benefits um so what benefits can we expect when we have let's say three months of alcohol and what was your experience of those first proper three months yeah so i um i took my first three month break in 2017 mm -hmm. um and i'd intended to do a 21 day reset um but it was probably one of the first times in adult life that I had actually taken a break from alcohol. And I felt so good that I was like, wow, I've got to keep going. This is what it's like to wake up every day with energy and positivity and mental clarity and, um, and feeling, you know, really optimistic and full of potential and having so much time. And so I did that hundred days and just felt, um, it was just like having my eyes open to this whole other yeah. way of living because, you know, previous to that, every weekend was a big booze fest. Every Saturday and Sunday was spent dying on the sofa until it was a point of time that it was acceptable to have a drink and then having a drink and then kind of carrying on. And then during the week, because I didn't drink Monday, Tuesday, I was like, fine I don't have a problem because I don't drink every day um yeah. and then just on repeat and so it was um it was just this eye-opening coming into this world of going wow waking up on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m and having the whole weekend stretching ahead of me and never having to factor in feeling a bit rubbish or having to pull into McDonald's for a brekkie burger or, or any of those things because I just always felt so good um so that was a real eye-opener for me yeah yeah and what made you kind of go back after that break in 2017 and then why did you stop again in 2019 so the difference for me I think was that first time in 2017 um I didn't do any of the deeper work around um mm. understanding what it was to to live a life without alcohol when you'd been quite conditioned to to drinking it all the time I was Sarah the party girl it was my identity and I think for that hundred days that I took off I was kind of um the novelty was quite high and it was like oh you know like I'm loving this but it got towards the end and I just remember going I can't never drink again like that would be weird like that would just be so bizarre for me to never drink again so I started to make negotiations with myself of going, well, it's okay, I can go back to drinking, but only if I, I'm not going to drink at home during the week. I'm definitely never going to drink on my own. I'm only allowed to drink if I'm out with friends and I've always got to stop maximum three glasses. So I made all these rules and probably stuck to them, I don't know, maybe the first two weeks, say, and then slowly but surely it crept back up, crept back up. 
And then I was back to where I was. And I was like, right, well, well, this wasn't what I wanted. This wasn't what I expected. So mm-hmm. then I took another break um, and did another 100 days. But again, I hadn't done that kind of deeper work of, of really understanding why I couldn't moderate, why I was never going to be able to moderate. I thought the problem was me. I thought I've got to try harder. I've got to have more willpower. I've got to be stronger. Like all of those things, because it was my fault that I couldn't moderate. Mm. Whereas I think the last time what actually happened was, I think I just reached that acceptance of going, I'm never going to be able to moderate. I'm never going to be someone that loves, that is able to just have one drink and is happy with that. So in actual fact, it's so much easier to have none than it is to have one. Yeah. And when, when the penny dropped and I had that realization, I had two choices because I, the third option had gone by this point. I knew the third option didn't exist and moderation mm. wasn't going to be there. So it was either I carry on drinking at the level that I am, which was causing me all kinds of problems, um, health wise, mental health wise. Um, I wasn't being the mom I wanted to be like I was always waking up with regret and shame and remorse. And, and, and it was just a pretty awful place to live. Um, or I could embrace sobriety and because the thing was that I knew that I felt amazing when I didn't drink I had the evidence now and I was like so why do I keep going back to doing the thing that makes me feel so bad when I know that when I don't do that thing I feel really good so I had to do that deeper work and 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 I had to really feel that in my body it's all very well people telling you but I think you have to reach that realization yourself and when I got there I just knew that was it. I was done. So that was April 2019. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I can relate to so much of that. Um, you're so right. You can know and you can know and logically you understand. But until you really feel it, then it's not going to make that much of a difference. Um, and it's not just about removing the alcohol, is it? It's a it's a lifestyle change. And the deeper work you mentioned there is so important. And what does that look like for you, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of that? Yeah, and it looked like lots of different things. It looked like um, getting to know what were the things that helped me manage my mental health so that I wasn't getting to the point where I was so stressed that alcohol felt like the only answer. Mm. Um, And that was exercise and that was changing my nutrition. That was getting a really good naturopath and getting some great supplements to keep my energy levels high. Then it was about, well, what am I adding into my life so that I don't feel like I'm missing out by taking out the alcohol. So that involved just being really intentional with how I spent my time, who I spent my time with, and making sure that I was planning and looking forward to fun things that I wanted to do where it didn't matter that I wasn't drinking. Because if all we do is sit there and still go to the pubs with with all of our mates and watch them get pissed while we just sit there with our water watching them, turns out that's not much fun, right? And so, and doing it for six hours is definitely not much fun. So what I had to do was really look at, well, how do I want to spend my time? And who do Mm. I want to spend my time with? and really create a life that was exciting and interesting and fulfilling. And I think that's the mistake that lots of people make when they choose to remove alcohol is they try to do their life exactly as they've done it, but without alcohol. But we can't do that because then we just end up feeling like we're missing out. We've actually got to look at the bigger picture of doing this this whole big life overhaul. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, there's nothing worse than, as you say, doing the same old things we used to do and struggling through it because we're just not drinking through those things anymore. Um, so what about your home life, Sarah? Because you just mentioned there that, um, you know, you had to think about how not to get stressed anymore and how to keep your energy up. You're a mum, you've got your own business. Sounds like you've got a pretty hectic, full-on life. Um, so how does, you know, how do you unwind and relax now that you haven't got the kind of the numbing out of alcohol anymore? Yeah, and I think one of the greatest gifts for me that has come from sobriety has been a, a much deeper connection to myself, to my body, to being able to listen to what my body needs because you're not in touch with yourself when you're drinking a bottle of wine a night. Like you're just not, you can't be. You're just hungover, pissed or thinking about drinking. And yeah. those were the kind of three states that I went through. So now I know what I need and, and I can tell I haven't exercised for a few days and I know that I need to, or I haven't done yoga for a little while and I know that I need to, I haven't meditated or I haven't been sleeping well. Like it's just coming back to the, the basics. So, you know, am I eating well? Am I, um, am I factoring in time for myself? on top of all of the other stuff, because as busy mums, we're so often at the bottom of the list and we're so often giving to everybody else. But when we do that, we're just running on empty and it's only a matter of time before we're just reaching for that, um, that glass of wine. So if we're putting in all of the other foundation blocks along the way, then we build a life where we're not so stressed and worked up and anxious that alcohol is the only answer when it gets to five o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about what shall I do at wine o'clock. It's about how you start your day, how you go yeah. through the day and everything in between. Um, and what about the whole uh, mummy wine culture? Because you and I bought into that. I think it's very, you know, heavily marketed that if you're a mum, then you need wine to cope with your kids. And it's a very dangerous message and obviously we don't because we're doing it without alcohol anymore um but how influential do you think that message is on modern mums I think it's everywhere like we've just had mother's day here in Australia mm. um oh my goodness I was just shocked at some of the cards and some of the memes that were going around on um on social media there was um one that was like, oh, thanks, mum, for passing me the wine gene. Um, mm. Oh, I'm the reason my mum drinks. And oh, um, oh, here, here's your prize for going nine months without wine while I was in your tummy. And, and all of this stuff. And it was, yeah, it's just everywhere. But for me, um, I, because I do think that when we have children, that's when my drinking changed. So I'd always been a big party girl. I'd always been, you know, loved a party, loved the social life. But I didn't really drink on my own and I didn't really drink at home until I had kids because then your social life stops. Right. And then I wasn't going out anymore um, partying and running around the clubs of London. And suddenly I was at home um, with I had two children very close together and I was sometimes I wasn't leaving the house. And sometimes the only time I left the house was going to go to baby rhyme time. And then I would come home and then I'd do some washing and then I'd clean up some sick and then I'd puree some food. 
And it was such a shock to me having come from having this big successful high flying career where I was jetting off to, you know, weekends in New York and weekends in San Tropez. And then all of a sudden I wasn't doing any of that and nothing prepared me mm. for, for how my life would change and how I would feel. And because I was a big drinker, I already had that, that, that noise in my head that was like, oh, alcohol makes you feel better. So I didn't need telling twice, oh, you deserve a glass of wine at the end of the day. You deserve that. And so it became something that I started looking forward to. It became something that was my daily reward come five o'clock. And then that habit's created. And then we're stuck in that pattern where, you know, we're drinking most nights. We're looking forward to it. We're thinking about it. It's a problem if we don't have alcohol in the house. Like that was like not an op- not an option to, it was Wednesday. I'm allowed to drink on a Wednesday, even though I don't feel like it, it's a Wednesday. So I will drive to the bottle shop and I will buy some wine because, um, you know, it, it definitely becomes problematic. But I think that the subliminal messaging that we get constantly by big alcohol is mm. you, we deserve wine and that's our switch off. And the other thing is that I think, that five till seven o'clock when you've got young kids, it's oh, really hard. It's, it's hell, right? <laughs> and you're, there, you're doing dinners, you're doing bath times, you're, maybe you're making lunches, maybe you're folding the washing. And the thing about alcohol is you can do that at the same time. So all of a sudden I could make the dinner and I could do homework and I could do all of that with a glass of wine in my hand. And that felt a little bit like a bit more of a reward than than the boring kind of day-to-day mundane stuff of, of raising young children and um and you know we're just constantly sold that message that it's fine to do that and it's okay and it's, in fact it's expected yeah yeah I can relate I did that sitting at homework time and bath time and bedtime with with a glass of wine to help me through it I suppose um and I got to the point where I couldn't do anything without a beer or a glass of wine but thinking back I sometimes wonder how I got anything done at all really because as you said earlier you know you're either drunk or you're hungover or you're thinking about it it doesn't leave much room for anything else um so what kind of things can we expect to open up for us when we do actually take away the alcohol and create that space in our lives? I think the first thing that happens is we have to start managing our emotions. Um, And my emotions were all over the place. I was, you know, I was sky high, marveling at the birds in the sky to one next minute. I was like sobbing on the bathroom floor. My life was a mess. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was an emotional roller coaster at the beginning because I'd been, I started drinking at, I don't know, 14, 15, like you do in Northern England. You know, we used to get our drinks from our parents' cabinet and put them in a soda stream bottle and go down the local bus stop and get pissed and kissed the local boys and that was like my initiation to my teenage years and so I started drinking at a really young age and what is it they say in sobriety that when you um when you stop drinking you you resort back to having the emotional age that you were when you started drinking because for most of us we haven't you know managed our emotions in any way other than through alcohol so it's such a a roller coaster in those first three four months and at some points it's just amazing and you feel so incredible and then other times it can be like oh my god this is too hard this is so hard and and we're not used to to having to sit with uncomfortable emotions because alcohol isn't we numb we avoid we distract 
So you have an argument with your husband, the kids are driving you nuts, you lose a deal at work, you know, anything that happens that causes an uncomfortable emotion, we're used to turning to alcohol to numb it. And all of a sudden, you've got to sit with it. And, and that's hard at the beginning. And so it's about teaching yourself how to do that. And I mean, I just immersed myself in books and podcasts um, and TED Talks and, and really kind of wanted to learn how to do this because I knew there had to be a way because there were so many women who'd gone before me and they had done it. And so I knew that there was a way through it. It was just about finding what worked for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you help people with um with your coaching and your courses and things isn't it the whole um well everything really right from the beginning to what happens after we've um we've left alcohol behind so can you explain a little bit about you know what it is that you do how do you help people stop drinking yeah so I'm an accredited gray area drinking coach and what that looks at is if we're taking alcohol out, what are we adding in? So yeah. that, you know, we're not just taking it out and white knuckling it and hanging on for dear life. And um, so a lot of what I do is, is helping my ladies. I mostly work with ladies and I do a lot of group coaching. I do a lot of um, programs that I run because I find that there is so much power in community. There is so much mm-hmm. power in doing um an alcohol-free program alongside others. Um, and I have women who come into these programs from all over the world, from the States, from Australia, New Zealand, the UK, Europe. And it's just wonderful because there's such a sense of, I'm not alone. And yeah. it can feel really hard if all your friends are still drinking and you're going on this path, it can feel really lonely. And so I love the fact that when I do these programs, I'm bringing women together and I've seen them create friendships that they, you know, go on to become the closest and best of friends. And so that's a really big part of what I do. Um, I, so the first thing I do is I help them to remove the alcohol, but then I help them to create a life that is more fulfilling and more interesting to so that they don't want to go back to drinking so it's kind of like a three-month package of removing the alcohol and then looking at what we're adding in um, to ensure that we have got the foundations in place um, because the wine witch is always going to come calling even at six months nine months that little voice that starts going oh you weren't that bad oh go on you could just go back and have one you don't have to be so all or nothing about it and yeah. as long as we're prepared then I think it's better yeah yeah I agree with that um so what does that look like what kind of things do you help your ladies add into their life Yeah, so it could be anything from assessing who are the people that we're spending our time with um, Mm -hmm. and are they people that drain us or are they people that energize us and are they supportive of what we're doing we look at what are we doing in our spare time how are we wasting time are we um because the biggest like the number one thing that people say to me is I've got no time I've got no time particularly for busy mums right but one thing you get back when you stop drinking is time like so much time and so but then it's important that we use that constructively so we look at what hobbies people want to take up what courses they might want to do like staying inspired getting creative learning and going on that journey 
and then looking at what we're looking at to soothe the nervous system. And we do a lot around that because so many of the ladies, when people work with me one-on-one, I do a neurotransmitter assessment, which basically tells me if they're deficient in any of the main neurotransmitters. Most of them are. Um, Mm. Most of my ladies are deficient in GABA, which is the neurotransmitter that makes us feel calm and less anxious. And that's why we're drinking so much, right? So many women are so stressed. We're in that fight or flight state. We are running on empty. We are so like highly strung that the Mm. only thing that switches off our busy mind is alcohol. So I go back to looking at all the ways that we start to soothe an overworked nervous system. And and there are so many resources that I share depending on what people need. And for some of them, it's looking at nutrition. For some, it's looking at supplements. For some, it's looking at lifestyle. Um, For some, it's looking at, I've got women who've changed jobs and and gone on to do other things because they've realized um, that they're just not living their life aligned to their values in any way whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I had that conversation with somebody yesterday. It's strange. Well, not strange. It's quite enlightening and exciting, I think, how when we do remove the alcohol, everything is kind of revealed to us. And maybe our dreams suddenly become more achievable to us. Um, We're not blocked anymore. We're not numbed anymore. Um, You know, removing this one thing just brings so much joy and energy and excitement to our lives what would you say is and I know it's probably not an easy question to answer but the best thing about being alcohol free for you my world has just opened up so much and and that's the thing that I just didn't think would happen I thought I had the biggest best life in my drinking days um, mm. and that if I removed alcohol that my world would be, would shrink and become small and boring whereas the absolute opposite has happened I've realized that alcohol was keeping my world so small and keeping my mindset so small and keeping my way of thinking so small mm. and when I removed alcohol it's just everything has changed the way that my vision for my life, the way that I interact in my life, the people that have come into my life, the things that I do with my time, like the opportunities that have been presented to me, like so much has happened, which is just such a contradiction to what I thought would happen. It's yeah. It's been mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sarah, that sounds amazing. So inspiring. Um, where can we find you if anybody's listening to this and says, I want what Sarah's got? Um, how can they find out more about you and, and the coaching and the help that you offer? Yeah, so um, my website is sarahrusbatch.com and my surname is spelt R-U-S-B-A-T-C-H. And then I've got a Facebook community, um, which has got nearly 11,000 women in it all over wow. the world. Um, and that's called the Women's Wellbeing Collective. And that's just a free Facebook group. And I show up in there most days, um, little videos, lots of support, lots of articles, blogs that I'll share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as well. Okay, perfect. We put all of those links um, in the show notes so that people can contact you directly or find a little bit more um, about you if they want to. And just before we, we go, what advice would you give to anybody who's listening to this and can relate to everything that you've said, but are still 
a bit nervous or scared even to take the step that they want to take? I think it's about being curious and I think it's about instead of seeing this as being we don't have to look at it as being an all or nothing life change at the beginning we can see it as being an experiment Mm -hmm. and we can see it as going okay I know what my life is like when I'm drinking and maybe that's not working out for me maybe that's why people are listening to this podcast but maybe we haven't taken a long enough break from alcohol to know what the other version of our life might be like Mm -hmm. and the other version of us might be like and I remember one day when I just sat there and I thought to myself I started drinking at at 15 let's say I live until I'm 85 that's 70 years of only ever doing life one way of only ever knowing one version of me so why don't I owe it to myself to take six months off out of that 70 years just to give it a go to see what life is like doing it another way And then I can make a decision. Which version of me do I like better? Which version of my parenting do I like better? Which version of my life do I like better? Because Mm -hmm. we, we, most Western adults will never take a long enough break from alcohol to ever know what their life would be like without it. And most of us don't actually understand. We completely underestimate the impact that it has on our sleep, our energy, our motivation, our mental health. And it's only from taking a decent amount of time off that Mm. we can really make that educated decision which version of my life do I like better and I just think we get one life don't we owe it to ourselves to to see if there's a different way of doing it yeah yeah Uh, it's like that quote you hear nobody regrets getting sober Um, and it's so true you know like you just said it's just worth having a go and seeing what it's like and if it's not for you then you've lost nothing but probably it is for you but you just have to embrace it and and give it a go and exciting things will happen I'm pretty sure of that yeah absolutely absolutely but I do think doing it with a group of others yeah. and educating yourself and getting all the resources and understanding the neuroscience and understanding addiction and understand like when we understand all of that mm. it makes such a difference to when we just take a break cross off the days hang on for dear life and then and then go back to drinking and wonder why nothing's changed yeah yeah you, you're right you can't just remove the alcohol like we said before and, and just carry on as normal there has to be um a deeper change taking place and with support it's so much easier um yeah I stopped drinking with my husband so when I stopped drinking I didn't really there wasn't this many groups and things as there are now so it was just me and my husband um what about you were you by yourself or did you join a group to help you through the initial uh, few months Yeah, I joined. um, I was in a Facebook group in the UK because back then in Australia, there was nothing. Um, And so I joined a Facebook, brilliant um, Facebook group. um, And I also did a challenge that was being run by Catherine Gray, who wrote the book, The Unexpected Mm. Joy of Being Sober. And she did a Sober Spring challenge. This was back in 2018. Um, and it was 90 days with her, you know, supporting and posting and sharing. Um, and so every time I've done it, I've done it with a group. Yeah. And that has made such a difference. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's key, isn't it? Would you say to, to the success of sobriety to surround yourself with people who. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been really nice talking to you. Um, and we'll put all of the links in the show notes. So if anybody wants to find out more about you and what you do and how you can help, then they can do so really easily. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure.